over cold open. It's not gonna be funny. We're going for effective over form. All right. So here's the. Good morning, the everybody. Scenes. We didn't have a cold open shit. <laughs> here's the behind the scenes for everyone. And you know, we're just gonna talk a little bit about tabletop RPGs because that's the nature of our friendship. But, you know, it's the difference in approach. Amber likes to go in with a loose concept for a character and just let it evolve naturally. And I prefer to have the 10 year plan for everything I want out of this character and out of the story. So that approach is the same with podcasting. I like to really think about it. I'm the one who brings notes. And because I thought we'd have at least one guest and then all of the guests I had line up, scheduling conflicts happened, so I didn't have any time to think beforehand about what the topic would be. So I just picked one where it would be easy, and we're not going back to Pathfinder just yet, but instead we're going to do a Necromancer, because I don't have to think about that one super hard. Did I say what the podcast is yet? Hi, everyone. Original podcast, Do Not Steal, is a podcast where in every week, Amber and I talk about a certain topic at length and then create an original character within that space. That's the podcast. That's what it is. Amber, do you have anything to say about the concept of necromancy, I guess? Like, like as a yes. as a form of magic? Um, I'm for it. I think that you should toy with the dark arts with forces beyond your control. I think that it's fun and sexy all the time and nothing ever goes wrong with it. Um, I don't know what necromancer is. Um, so I, this is going to be a journey for me. I don't like, I literally don't even know what medium, I don't know what necromancer is. Um, all I have is the title, but necromancy I know about because I'm a nerd and I play fantasy games and I'm aware of what it means to bring people back from the dead. Yeah, so there might be a specific property like fantasy series called necromancer, but no, I did just mean we're going to make an OC what does a necromancy, and that's it. <laughs> okay. Like, it's not a property. We're just making a necromancy OC. That's, that'll, be a little bit of, that'll be a little bit different for our show. Not a totally out of the realm of possibilities. We, you know, sort of in keeping with the the bees episode, um, the, the bug episode, sort of. The, the long-teased serial <laughs> mascot episode that we'll someday do. I forgot we've been teasing um, the serial mascot. But yeah, no, you okay? So I'm curious then what what we we've been teasing it forever. Someday it'll happen. At this point, it's become a mythical episode to me. <laughs> um, uh, well, I'm I'm curious about your thought process that caused you to make that choice because it's a little bit unusual for us. So here's what it is: necromancy, cool. Who doesn't love a necromancer? And my hot take on necromancer characters is if there is not a twinge of romanticism to your necromancer, then get it the fuck out of here! If you didn't dabble into the dark arts because you lost a lover and you want them back, I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, but I, much like for the Suicide Squad episode... I know what my necromancer looks like, right? It's someone who wants their dead loved one back and either they bring it back and they can bring back the body, but they can't resurrect the soul and now they feel cursed and or the process of dabbling this far into the dark arts who would be someone to defile a body to bring back their lover have no become no longer the person their foreloved would be in love with and now they're cursed forever. Or if you're someone who, again, keeping that twinge of romanticism, like a more 
a wholesome necromancer wherein you view the undead as sapient beings deserving of rights and are trying to give them like citizenship and a nation spoilers that's a villain i have when we do the genesee 3 thing we're gonna do that episode amber i'm telling you that right now uh but those are like all the vague loose concepts i have for necromancer and i know what it looks like i don't know what it looks like with the added spice of amber autumn's take on necromancy yeah so I mean, those are all pretty tried and true characters, right? The the concept of, of wanting to bring a loved one back, but they come back wrong, and they're a shell of their former self, and oh god, it wasn't supposed to be like this, um, is, uh, like, pretty worn out. There's there's an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer um, where um, uh, there has been a, um, a major character has suffered an enormous loss in their life recently and they've decided to try to uh uh bring that um that deceased person back um and they like go to this like powerful wizard who's capable of casting that spell and everybody including that wizard is like are you sure that you want to do that sometimes uh the other person comes back not exactly the way that you might want them to um you know still them but maybe not quite um and like, we never even get to see what that ends up looking like. Um, the spell gets cancelled before the the loved one actually, like, appears as part of the resolution. Um, uh, but, like, the, the whole episode is, like, relying on you as the audience already being aware of, like, the trope of the, like, the botched resurrection. The resurrection that takes something from their soul. And that's back in, like, the, what, late 90s, early aughts? That, that like, they're already relying on you having knowledge of that trope so i think that we can i think we can do better than that it's like the full metal alchemist thing right that's the whole that's like the that's like what all of full metal alchemist is 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 based on pretty um, much faustian bargain sure yeah so i think sort of depending on the tone that we want to go with here's here's two counter propositions that i have for you um are one the resurrection always works perfectly. We have a, a a necromancer who's good at what they do, um, who can always resurrect perfectly, but um, the cost isn't that the person comes back wrong. Um, the cost is that they need to, um, I don't know, sacrifice someone else, and then it becomes like a, an evil villain that's all about um, uh, killing other people to keep their circle around and like artificially extending the lives of like themselves and their loved ones at the expense of everyone else or you could do um like a necromancer who can bring people back but only in limited capacity not in terms of their soul is gone but in terms of the other person can only present in a certain area or it's very uncomfortable for them to be back or something like that maybe that all too huge too close to the original thing anyway I love the idea of a necromancer who's like, no, 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 I, yeah, I can, I can bring him back. I'm better at this than everyone else. Just like, because necromancers are always, like, bag under eye, tired, forlorn, desperate, sad sacks. I like the idea of a necromancer who's like, no, this is an art. And I'm good at it. I am a cocky necromancer. <laughs> a necromancer who walks out with like a Han Solo swagger is just an awesome concept. Like a necromancer who's well put together. 
who looks nice, who, in fact, probably um, looks unnaturally young and fit forever because they can control life. Yeah, that makes sense. I do just real quick want to shout out a necromancer who kind of goes against type, and it's by B-A-E-A-L Buddy at Twitter. They do a lot of, like, subversive smut comedy comics. They're funny. Check them out. But they have a recurring character, Alice the Necromancer, and the bit is that she has, like, really big titty, like, like huge anime titty. Right. And her... <laughs> and her necromatic skeletons are constantly doing the thing I just do was like oh look at big titty and they're too distracted to do anything but her origin story was just like there are no kids in my village I just wanted a bunch of friends so I resurrected the skeletons you don't have to call me master you're my best friend and I just wanted to shout that out before we got too into the weeds of our necromancer who is hot and well put together yeah so the the, the two immediate necromancy uh connections that i make when i'm thinking about it uh one is because of a recency bias i just watched this movie dragon slayer 1981 a few days ago which is like this old high fantasy disney production um uh about a guy becoming a wizard it's very arch it's very like standard high fantasy shit but in that movie the guy's like mentor is a necromancer um who like dies in the first 15 minutes of the movie and you watch and you go hmm well, this necromancer has died. I'm sure that he won't ever come back over the course of the movie and then exactly what you'd expect happens. But that's interesting because he's extending his own life, which is sort of a thing that we're mimicking here. And then the um, character from The House with the Clock in Its Walls, um, which I'm sure we'll do a John Belair's episode at some point in the future. But I, 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 I find it interesting when necromancers are deployed as villainous characters and when they're not. Because by default, you think of necromancy as sort of a villainous art because it's toying with the boundaries of life and death. And it involves... Like, there's, I think, a lot of aesthetic connections that make necromancy appealing as a villainous character. One is the thematic reason. You want to, like, thematically reify the value of... Like, ex like you want to teach a lesson about accepting death, right? Because it's, like, an important thing that we all have to go to through and sure in like the real world if there were a way to bring people back from the dead that would be good and we would all be supportive of that but um there isn't and so in the real world the lesson that we all actually have to learn is about accepting death about coming to terms with it about coming to terms with the death of others and with the de with the death of yourself in future your own mortality and so when you're telling stories um the person who's trying to break that law has to sort of be the villain because um you have to learn why that person is wrong and so from a thematic standpoint, there's often a draw towards making them villains. And also from an aesthetic standpoint of uh, in high fantasy, like these are characters that show up in fantasy adventures in general. And in fantasy, you need um, action scenes. And for action scenes, you often need uh, people for your heroes to kill without a bunch of moral complications. And, and zombies and skeletons are very, very useful for that. And so making your necromancer and all of their assorted minions evil um, provides a, a convenient narrative function in that way. And so there's like a, a compelling set of reasons why we would want our characters to be villains in necromancy, which is almost what makes it more interesting when you have characters who are necromancers who aren't villains. And I, I don't know, I can, I can see our character going either way. I would want to do it intentionally. Okay. Hmm. Where am I coming down on this? I think it would be fun to have like a air quote party member 
but still keeping that like cheeky. Na- I think of this guy as a magnificent bastard who happens to be on our side and happened like <sighs> necromancy. I feel like it's just the school of fucking I almost said necromancy the school of necromancy it's just like the school of the arcane they were adapted to for no particular reason and now this is the one they care about I think honestly I think something fun and different would be like he is not an introspective or thoughtful person like he's not thinking about grappling with the nature of death and his own mortality he just knows I do necromancy good I do necromancy better than anyone. I'm ergo. I'm one of the best wizards on the planet. Why aren't people more impressed when I bring back people from the dead? Okay. That said, um, I so let me let me plus one on that because I think that having a character who is like disinterested in the politics of what he is doing, um is really interesting when necromancy is such an obviously inherently political act, right? You're bringing back certain people either um, as, like, sentient feeling beings, in which case you're probably bringing back, like, the people who are close to you or the people who are paying you money, or more likely both, or you're bringing them back as, like, mindless, like, sort of a a, a chattel slavery sort of a situation with uh, brainless automatons. And then there's the question of, like, who are you sourcing for that? Who gets necromantized? And to what end are you using them? Like, it's a, it's a very political thing. And I think having a character who feels apolitical about it, who thinks like, oh, no, I'm just giving my friends and family um, uh, eternal life to make a quick buck or whatever. Um, like, that is itself a political statement like unavoidably i think it could be like a compelling intentional commentary on um the ability of like the people who can do necromancy to do political things in their benefit while feeling like they're not political sorry like i like sorry this got so explicitly like oh this is politics but to me this is obviously politics yeah, no, I was going to say very, uh, you know, Great Gatsby-esque. Um. Yeah, sort of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which makes I, a lot of sense for what we've done. <laughs> when, you, when we started this episode, I wasn't expecting the Gatsby connection, but, like, you're right. <laughs> God, it's really funny, because earlier today I was thinking about how I fucking hate Great Gatsby, and now here I am <laughs> making a Great Gatsby necromancer. Why do you hate Great Gatsby? Some of it is just, I read the book when I was a shitty high school, and I went, yeah, rich people suck, I get it. And now I'm an adult, and I go, yeah, rich people suck, I get it. But I have a very specific, very stupid complaint with Great Gatsby where I just, like, I don't even want to approach it. Because I had two distinct conversations with two different people in the course of, like, what feels like retroactively 15 minutes, but was probably just the same week, where I went to my... 
high school teacher, Miss Blanchard, I was like, yeah, I don't like the book. It's kind of boring. And they were like, well, have you considered that in the scene where What's-Her-Name says, I hope my daughter is born dumb and pretty, it means that being smart will make you sad because you'll realize that as a woman, you can't affect material change on the world. And I was like, yeah, no, it's, it's actually really simple. I get it. And then I had a conversation with Katrina where I was like, I actually don't really like Great Gatsby. And she went, well, have you considered that the scene where What's-Her-Name says to her daughter, I hope you become I'm stupid and pretty actually means it's like yeah I don't I get it that doesn't make me care I get that the eyes on the billboard are the eyes of God when I say I don't care you bringing up symbology and metaphor will not make me care I'm looking for a grounded character reason to give a shit about these people and what they're doing and I never have and the only response I've ever gotten is well have you considered that when what's her face says I hope my daughter is born stupid and pretty um, while we're on Gatsby, I just want to shout out um, this book that I read uh, like late last year called The Chosen and Beautiful, um, which is a retelling of The Great Gatsby from Jordan's perspective, where she, A, um, is a, a queer Vietnamese immigrant um, and like how that affects her relationship with everybody and the way that she understands the story. And like it gives you a character to actually root for in the story, you know, um, and B... Uh, can do magic. Um, oh, I love uh, it when fanfic is good. <laughs> it's so good. It's actually genuinely great. Um, the the cover says, uh, like the the quote on the cover says, sumptuous and decadent, and truly it is the most sumptuous and decadent read <laughs> just in terms of the prose that I've ever read in my life. I recommend it. Chosen in the Beautiful. Um, anyway, about necromancy. <laughs> well, hold on, while we're here, shout out to The Crack Up by F. Scott Fitzgerald, because I think that should be required reading as opposed to The Great Gatsby. And back to our necromancer. <laughs> okay, thank you, everybody. <laughs> so I think, yeah, having a character who isn't strictly villainous, but who definitely is in the wrong. Like, we don't like the character, um, because... They are, like, just using their power to benefit themselves and their loved ones. Um, I'm thinking about Dollhouse, weirdly, how, like, the the power to switch people's brains gets deployed in the service of the wealthy and powerful, and how that, like, ultimately ends up ruining the world. And we get a sense that, like, if this were a technology that everybody had, it would ruin the world. But it's not. It's just this one shithead. Let's look at our let's 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 look at our list of of prompts here. So before this episode happened, I looked at pair of baby shoes never wore, and I went fucking perfect. That's it. <laughs> That's what started them down the path of necromancy. But now the character is different, and I don't immediately feel that to be as true as I did before recording happened. That's just behind the scenes. I wanted on record. Letter from a deceased cousin is kind of interesting because it implies a cousin that our character either can't or won't bring back. Ooh, what if the note is like explicitly, hey, don't bring me back, I'm cool with death? Is that anything? That is something? I wanna, um, I wanna follow up further. That I think that based on what I know about our character so far, um, I think that they would have tried anyway. Um, and I think that the letter, like, like maybe they need something, like they need the body or they need um, uh, a a a piece of the body, a little bit of of DNA or a connected item. And the cousin um, 
has like intentionally hidden everything and that gives our character like a quest to go on where the character is trying to find their cousin um their remains using hints in a letter in order to bring them back but obviously the 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 arc that they need to go on is not doing that Ooh, what a delicious hook god we're <laughs> amber should we dm something i don't want to dm anything online <laughs> I didn't, that was, I'm not offering. I was just like, we're, we're fucking good at tabletop RPGs. We're so fucking smart. We have such big brain. It's true. We're so smart and we have such big brains. Um, I love our, story our game stuff. Our brain big and sexy. <laughs> this podcast is one of my favorite story games. <laughs> oh, that's That's going in the description. So, if the cousin is cool with death, then I assume, like, the place that my brain goes is um, the cousin has already lived a natural, full human life. You know, they've already, they, they made it to 80, they had a good run, um, and they're, like, ready to let go. So that makes me think, since they're cousins, that our character also is, like like probably pushing a hundred at this point and just looks really young because their powers include fountain of youth shit. Yeah, that makes sense. Or what might be grimmer of is that they can't have fountain of youth shit, but when they bring people back, you bring them back either as like at 25, you know, at like the, the age tipping point, or you always bring them back as a baby and what our character does is every time that they get too old is they have to um, commit suicide and set up a ritual to resurrect themselves from a younger age. Okay, that is a level of dark wherein I need like a narrative justification before I sign off on it. So like what, what, okay, what more does sense. that reveal to the audience outside of like the way this person lives their life? hurts people around them even though they want to pretend it doesn't i just i yeah it's i'm not gonna talk about berserk here because we'll do it in season three but let's just like i i, I need a justification sure. if we're gonna go there because that's really dark i guess it is i guess in my brain like i'm using like i'm deploying the word suicide and it is like the aesthetics of suicide um but like it's one where it doesn't actually result in the death of the person right it like like you've got the safety net you're coming back it's just you have to, um, I don't know, it's like in, in in movies where you have to have a character, like, temporarily die and then come back because they've got, like, defibrillators on hand to break the curse or whatever. Um, yeah, is, like, like where it went in my brain. But, I, like, you're right that it does. Right. Or, or Fear Street Part 1 of 1994. I guess the, the, the thing that was appealing to me about that is that the process of attaining that youth isn't frictionless. It requires um, that you have to take this big step of... Um, it requires dramatic action. It requires... Uh, yeah, I like that they're... Fountain of Youth is not a passive buff. There is a ritual. Like, there, it, it comes at a cost. There is something that has to be involved. And tell me how you feel about this. I'm kind of okay with just saying that there's something involved and we don't necessarily need to map it out here today. Are you fine with that? Or do you really need, a, like, a, the need to nap it out? 
Um, I want to have it a little bit more mapped out than okay. just there is something. Like I'm like I'm okay saying like if we think that the aesthetics of suicide are a little too intense, um, we can say that our character like in or like to do the resurrection, you do reset to infancy, um, and like that's what that's what the process does. Um, and you can do it to dead people or to living people. And then our character, like the way that they maintain youth is that they have to reset every time they get too old. All right. I'm down with that. Do you think you retain your like memories and experiences after resurrection? I think you do. Yeah, I think you would. Logistic question. Who takes care of them when they're a baby? Cause you said that and I was like, Oh, and then he gets rocked by a little skeleton minion and he goes back to his big necro mansion where a bunch of zombies and zombie nursemaids take care of him and shit. Okay, so we do have, like, like there's two different direct like, like, the direction that we've been going has been sort of moving away from army of zombies, because it's like, you retain your experiences, you're still like a sapient creature when you're resurrected. So I'm not sure it makes sense for them to have a mansion of zombies, but it might make sense for our character to, like, have a large staff of caretakers kind of just the old-fashioned way because they can charge a fortune for their services um and uh thus they're probably very wealthy that makes a lot of sense and i would like to say we have lent towards like geek rate sapient beans i think he can do both because this whole thing is i am just that good but yeah I okay do, I, but i do prefer that he have just like a staff of normal people that he pays money because you know he's rich sure yeah but he, but he can bring back like zombies and what what have you. Yeah, at least one zombie nursemaid, just just for aesthetic. Okay, <laughs> just just for the kick of the teeth. Okay, yeah, that feels all pretty good. Are there anything else we want to nail down? Because we've got vibe, we've yeah. got aesthetics, we've got like what the arc would be, his plot hook and stuff. I want to know a little bit about. Like, family life, I think. Like, our character has the miraculous ability to save anyone from death. Um, and is probably using that on on his family. Regularly, and himself. Does his upbringing, like, affect the way he navigates the world today? Is he, like, close to his parents? Does he... It seems like he probably would, like, feel strongly about family. So does he have his own at this point? He's old enough. He could have started one or several by now. My immediate thought was Black Sheep, like, comes from a highfalutin, well-to-do family who all of the sons and daughters have done on to do great things. And his great thing is necromancy, and he doesn't think any two ways about it. But his family is kind of skeeved out about it, but not skeeved out enough about it to not be immortal and say that our son Jareth is cool even though the whole dead butler thing skeeves me out because we're rich fucks is that a good idea I think that makes a lot of sense some internal disagreement I'm thinking about like um uh ready or not where you have like some characters who are definitely more worried about it than others and we don't have to iron out all of the specific details of that but um and I will say, I was thinking Brett from Inside Out. Shout out to a good show. Canceled too soon. Also, I said Jareth offhand. I don't 
want his name to be Jareth at the end of the day. Yeah, no, neither do I. That's the that's the guy from Labyrinth. We oh, can't yeah. have it be named after the guy from Labyrinth. No, that'd be silly. For like, have they have their own families? I think this is my immediate thought is that this <laughs> full West Indian. This guy doesn't just have a family. He's got secret families. He's got families that don't know about each other because he is kind of a piece of shit. But the twist yeah. is yeah, he yeah, loves yeah. them all. <laughs> they just, he, he loves just, them all. It would he just was be really... complicated if they all knew about each other. Our dude cares a lot about family. He's a family man at heart. That's why he keeps bringing everybody back. Um, and, you know, maybe you get the sense that, like, one or two of the families might kind of know about the situation. Um, but the dude is able to bring people back from the dead, so it's not like they're going to rock the boat about it. And he maybe doesn't know that they know, you know? Oh, I love the massive contradiction at the heart of our necromancer. I like this guy. <laughs> I like this shitty guy. I want to call him We're we're playing really fast and loose with settings, so it's kind of tough to know exactly what to name him. Um but if we can just give him a, like a generic high fantasy name like Bastion. That's good. No, actually. that sounds I... <laughs> Oh, that's good. I felt Great. good about Bastion when you said it. Bastion? Cuz he's a bastion against death or he thinks of himself that way. Yeah. But like My it's a little bit was... ironic cuz yeah, no, it was a good day. My only thought was, uh, what if start with Z? <laughs> but Bastion's yeah, everybody's, than, everybody's necromancer fucking starts with Z. Shut up. Ooh, how original. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the king of originality. Check out the name of our podcast. <laughs> right, how does that he dress? Like a character? Oh, how do they dress? Uh, fancy. How does he dress? Oh, fancy boy expensively he dresses fancy yeah wearing the finest kingly garments i think think that the suit with the twin the twin tails at the back you know when they draw joker as like gangster with twin tails at the back i think he's got one of those oh that's like that's like more contemporary than i was imagining it because i was thinking about like a high fantasy thing but it totally can be more modern than that we can be like, oh, it used to be high fantasy, but we lived a long time. I mean, I am thinking high fantasy. You know me. I'm thinking high fantasy, but I'm thinking more so like, you know how in season, you don't know how in season three of Game of Thrones, Jamie Lannister is like kind of wearing a leather jacket, but you know how like Pathfinder is high fantasy, but there's also like a revolutionary period to some of the outfits and accoutrement. I'm thinking like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like it. Like, it's definitely styled after more modern fashion senses. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Wonderful. Bastion. How do we ship Bastion? Yeah. Oh, what the f***? In Yowie art, the semi, or top, is usually dominating the UK, or bottom. It was fun! Their relationship is cute, damn it! I ship that! And does that, does that lead us to the segment of season two? How do we ship it? It does. <laughs> Who Bastion be fucking? It's everyone, right? I think Bastion will say up and down that he's straight, but will yeah, fuck Bastion anything is that a, moves. A pansexual in the sense that like Lando Calrissian also be fucking robots. <laughs> <laughs> you love it when when characters say straight but be gay. Do I? 
Is that a, a thing that I've used too many? Should I, should I ease off on that? No, at the very least, I think it's fine here that presents is very like, I'm a family man. I don't like cuck. And then like, hmm, that's a mighty fine looking orc peen. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, I think. I don't Bastion know. I think it makes sense for the character very, that we've built. You know, high society, highfalutin, acceptable manner. But is a total fucking Dorian Gray in the sheets, baby. Debauchery all day. Yeah, absolutely. It just it just feels consistent. I don't know how to answer the question of who the fandom would yeah, ship him with. Uh, that's like, do... Because <laughs> so there is like literally no There's franchise. not other characters. Do we ship are there any characters from just the larger world of media that were immediately like this guy bastion would be fucking <laughs> like is there a is there a jack frost ilsa we can find somewhere out there in the ether jesus christ <laughs> my immediate thoughts are obvi dorian gray <laughs> <laughs> but the other one I think would like be the Jack Frost Ilsa is from like season one of Critical Role. It's I want to say Dolores or Delilah Briarwood, who is like <laughs> the romantic necromancer who brought back her husband, who is now a vampire. I <laughs> I think they hang out and and they bang. They have threesomes with her husband. <laughs> Those are my two immediate thoughts. And this one's real stupid. Xander from Buffy. I don't have a reason. Why? <laughs> I was like, who's someone who... And, and again, it's been so long since I lost Buffy. I'm sure every thought I have about Buffy is incorrect. But I'm like, who's like kind of like a like a boring loser who just like isn't like any of these highfalutin people that Bastion kind of surround himself with? Just someone off the beaten path. And I was like, Xander, right? He's kind of like mopey and whiny, a little pathetic. He is kind of mopey and whiny. That's true. You got that. I think that Bastion fucks that character from the horny comic you were talking about <laughs> with the big tip because it's a horny comic that's oh uh, no now i ship allison best that's my otp <laughs> <laughs> and that's been i ship it one fun fact a piece one fun fact a piece so if you listen to the commentary track for fight club they're Brad Pitt is so adamant about it being a comedy, and I love him for that. But Brad Pitt, one of the jokes he says is like, yeah, no, he wears like this gaudy, garish red leather jacket that is loud and abrasive, and he does not even begin to understand why you'd look like an asshole for wearing that. I think Bastion makes a lot of fashion choices like that, where he just does not get that he's peacocking. Damn, my direction was going to be fashion, too. Let me come up with a different one. <laughs> Can I know what your fashion one is? Because now I'm curious. I was going to have him be really interested in shoes. Like, like he would care a lot about which shoes he was wearing. You come back to characters who care about shoes and fun facts a lot. That's Do I? I don't notice my patterns. You did it with Balor the Broken and you did it with Reverend Jacob. Damn. Okay. Never mind then. I just have only so many fun facts in me. <laughs> it makes it a coherent show. You know, there's recurring themes <laughs> It's, it's like poetry it rhymes that's how art happened yeah i think bastion has a pet dog 
who he loves to death and who he, you know, brings back eternally beyond its natural lifespan. Um, but the dog, like, doesn't recognize him because he doesn't spend any time with it. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> I love. Like, he's responsible idea. for bringing this dog back, but other people are taking care of it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's perfect. All right. Speaking of perfect, join us next week when Amber tries to get us to talk about inixable franchise Gem of the Hologram, but fails because we're going to be talking about... We're going to be talking about um, the webcomic Paranatural with my roommate. Ooh, all right. Let's go. Um, uh, thank you for listening. I have been Amber Autumn, she, her. I've been Prince Devin, he, him. Our theme music is by Kyle Alicia, whose work you can find at therealragnarok.bandcamp.com. Um, please uh, go ahead and drop us a review, drop us a like, drop us a comment, and go ahead and swing by our merch store um, where we will be selling a pair of baby shoes that have never been worn. <laughs> I, I don't think I have a clever sign-off. We love you, bye! bye. <laughs>